We are going to energize the country. We need to wake up and smell the coffee. No more Mr. Nice Guy. Another future is possible, but we've got to fight for it. Order! Hello and welcome to the Debated Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Will. And in this episode, I'm delighted to be joined by Rebecca Halifax, the recently elected Liberal Democrat councillor uh, for Sirencester Park. Welcome to the podcast, Rebecca. Hello, Will. Um, so uh, the first question uh, that I'd like to ask is, um, what made you uh, decide to stand as a Liberal Democrat councillor? It was a it was a bit of a surprise to me, to be perfectly honest. Uh, I can't say that well into my 40s, I had really expected to embrace a political career, if I'm honest. Um, but I joined the Lib Dems as a member after the referendum. Um, I got to the point where I was just really fed up with shouting at the radio and <laughs> feeling somewhat impotent and uh, sort of got stuck in with my, my local party, which was in Buckinghamshire at the time. And then sort of fast forward to a couple of years ago, uh, I was moving house because my daughter wanted to move schools for her A-levels. And we'd settled on Sirencester as being, uh, for a whole bunch of reasons, uh, as being a, a great location for her to come to sixth form college. And uh, so I got in touch with the local party and uh, spoke to Joe Harris, who is um, pretty well known in his own right. And um, very, very swiftly into beating him, he suggested that I might like to consider standing for the town council, which, uh, which I agreed to do and was elected uh, to the town council sort of five months after, after moving to the town. And um, just a few months after that, uh, Joe and Paul Hodgkinson, who is the leader of the Liberal Democrat group on the county council, um, sort of sat me down and said, look, we're, we're starting to, to look at the campaign for the upcoming county council elections uh, for 2021. Um, and, um, you know, we'd really like you to consider standing. So we had a, a number of conversations about it and I, and I sort of expressed my, you know, surprise and, mm-hmm. and, um, and, and lack of experience and, you know, so on and so forth, but, um, but agreed to do it because I, I like local politics, actually. My, my experience, although it's been pretty limited as a town councillor, has been, um, both eye-opening and also uh, incredibly rewarding, I would say. It's it's hard work, for sure, um, and, and nobody should go into it with any uh, any expectation that it's some kind of cushy, uh, cushy number. It, it mm. most certainly isn't. Um, but what it is, is, um, of course, it's at a very small scale compared to anything that might go on in Westminster. But what it is, is it's, is it's real things that affect real people locally so it's real community stuff and you know people might think it's quite funny that there's lots of discussions about you know bin collections but you know what if the bin collections are going wrong that really affects people's daily lives so Mm. getting it right actually matters Mm. so that's why i agree to go ahead Mm. Um, so when you were standing for election were there any particular issues that uh, you wanted to make sure we're at the heart of your campaign. Any issues that you saw as particularly um, important uh, to the past Sirencester uh, that you were standing in? 
So there's there's several things that are, are going on locally that that really matter. I mean, there is the there is obviously the perennial that is that is perpetually uh, perpetually loved by by Lib Dibs, which is the the state of the roads. And and it must be said that um, in and around the Cotswolds, the uh, the, the state of our roads is absolutely uh, awful. And again, that might not sound like a, a really big deal. But actually, you know, the Cotswolds is a, is a very rural constituency. Mm. Um, so when you have roads that are in very, very poor condition with um, massive holes in them, that, you know, degrades the, the, the quality of, of people's tyres, causes accidents. Um, if verges and, and hedges overhanging trees aren't being maintained, that actually is very dangerous. And there are accidents, um, you, you know, visibility is obscured. Those, those issues really matter. Um, so that's, that's you, you know, not just something that we, we like to take photographs of pointing at potholes, hmm. but, but that's, it's actually really important that that work is, is done and is done regularly. It is done in a, in a very um, satisfactory way, as opposed to just patching a pothole, but actually resurfacing a road or or properly cutting back a, a, a series of, of, of hedgerows um, when they need it. Um, so that's one thing. Um, another thing is uh, is our our local health services. Um, I mean, th- there was there was lots in in the media over the last couple of years about the health services in Cheltenham, which obviously is neighbouring to, to Sirencester because of question marks over the, the loss of A&E services in, in Cheltenham. Well, um, there's question marks over Sirencester Hospital and what goes on there, the services that are available there, question marks about um, how the uh, the doctor's practices uh, in and around Sirencester are going to be changed, um, the, the, the clinical commissioning group. Uh, is is looking at, at changing things. There's a there's a, a, a huge new housing estate being planned and, and the, the beginnings of development uh, just starting now, and that's going to be taking place over the next few years. That in itself is going to affect the the, the type of services that are available in the area. So there's a great deal of concern locally about what services are going to be available and how they're going to be developed, how they're going to be delivered to the local community. Um, you know, it's it's easy to say, well, well, let's let's just move these doctor surgeries and put them in one location because that's going to be, you know, gosh, that's going to be hugely more efficient. Well, it, it might be more efficient, but that's that's only one that's only sort of one perspective or, or one mm-hmm. data point. You know, if there's not actually corresponding services like transport. That allows those who uh, perhaps have mobility issues or perhaps have young children that they're trying to get to the surgery. You know, it's it's not easy if you've got several miles to travel mm. um, and your um, and your mobility impaired to get from one side of the town to the other. If um, you know, if there's no transport available to you, so there's a much much wider question to answer. Mm. Um, then, then of course, there's there's. Uh, there's environmental considerations. Um, last last winter and on into the spring, we had um, absolutely desperate desperate flooding uh, in the area um, that affected lots and lots of householders uh, in just the worst way. There were quite a number of householders who were not even able to be in their own homes uh, actually over Christmas itself mm. um, because of the uh, because of the flooding, and that wasn't just flood water. 
that was sewage as well that um, broke through from the uh, broke through from the sewerage system. Um, so there is a lot of work to be done uh, in conjunction, obviously, with uh, with the Environment Agency, with Thames Water, um, to make sure that um, appropriate remedial works are put in place um, and that. Um, that people don't get affected in in the same way uh, in the same way again, or that bearing in mind the fact that 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 climate change is 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 real, um, and development has taken place since, for example, the sewerage systems were were, were built, you know, back in the fifties and sixties. That that change has to has to happen to make sure that um, in this perfect storm of events, you know, many more houses. Uh, many more houses utilizing services, much more, much more groundwater runoff, um, you, you know, full verges because, um, you know, through through slashed budgets, you know, mm. verges and ditches haven't been haven't been cleaned so much um, that it's not residents who are who are paying the price by by being forced out of their homes because they're, they're flooded. Mm. These are several issues that, that came up repeatedly on the doorstep. Um, do you think that uh, part of the uh, shift that we've seen uh, in, in, in terms of um, electoral politics in areas like Sirencester and um, other areas in, in, in the Cotswolds, away from the um, Conservatives, which has been labelled as the, the, the collapse of the um, Blue Wall, we saw it in the, in the by-election in Chesham and Amersham, do you think that part of the reason for that is that people in areas uh, like uh, your own feel that the Conservatives, who've quite often been in power for years and years and years, have neglected them and, and, and simply taken them for granted? I don't know whether that's quite so easily the case mm. around here. Cotswolds, Cotswolds is quite, a, um, quite an interesting constituency in that there is quite a lot of support for um, Lib Dems for local mm. politics, um, but for national politics, uh, there is a tendency towards uh, conservative uh, conservative policies. Anyway, um, there's there's some discussion. You probably are well aware. There's some discussion about boundary changes. Mm-hmm. So become a more interesting question to answer over the next year or so um but i think i think yes as demographics have changed there is a a gradual movement um away from what has been absolutely true blue um uh true blue rural county voting um, there are a lot of new housing developments across the county now, and um, those are being populated by overspill from some of the bigger cities, um, you know, um, exodus from, from London, um, and, and they are not the traditional either, um, they're, not, they're not the traditional Cotswolds voters. Mm. So perhaps over the coming years, we are we are likely to see more of a change in the voting demographic. Um, I think I, I, I would love to say I would love to say that we're going to see a sweeping change, you know, mm. yellow brick, yellow brick. 
Um, of course, I would love to say that, but um, I'm also a little bit of a cynic, um, and and I don't think it's I don't think it's ever easy. You know, if you're a liberal, I don't think you ever get to think it's easy. Um, you know, people people often vote the way that they have always voted when it comes to uh, particularly national elections. They're more likely to to reconsider for for local issues. Mm. Um, now, you mentioned um, at the start of the podcast that Brexit was um, a motivating factor uh, for you joining the Liberal Democrats. Uh, do you think that the impact of Brexit has been um, felt in, in Sirencester and in the Cotswolds? And um, what do you make of the um, actions recently of the government in relation to, the, um, to wanting to change the Northern Ireland uh, protocol? Do you think that this uh, demonstrates that uh, Brexit perhaps wasn't as a, a great idea or as a, 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 a smooth uh, transition as perhaps the uh, Conservatives build it as? Do you know, I find, I find the whole thing really sad, if I'm honest. Well, mm. you know, the, 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 vote, the vote took place, the referendum happened and you know, like it or or don't like it, the vote went the way that it did. And, uh, you know, hindsight is a wonderful thing, of course, but but I think it would have been so simple at that time to say, look, the result was really, really close. And so clearly this is a country that is, you know, it it is not a strong majority mm-hmm. in either direction. There is there is a real mix of feeling here. So let's be collaborative in the way that we work. Let's try and find as much as possible a middle ground. There are, of course, there are extremists on both sides. You always get that with any mm-hmm. issue. Um, but I think it would have been so much more sensible to try and find a way that didn't really pander to the extremists, which is, which is, <clears throat> excuse me, which is, which seems to me that the, the way that, that things have progressively gone. And, and now we're in a situation where, I, I don't know, I just feel like we're in a, we're in a war of attrition, really, and that there are no, there are no longer any good choices for anybody, whichever way you voted. And, and as, as far as Northern Ireland is concerned, it, it seems to me that, that we're, as a country, we're breaking promises left, right, and centre, and that's that's appalling. I'm I'm by my nature a I am a, a globalist. I you know I've had a career in technology, which is as an industry is a is a global industry, is a very outward looking industry, is is one that is not inclined towards borders and building walls. It's one that is very collaborative by nature. And, and, you know, I would far rather we were working with our neighbours and, you know, trying to find ways to, to bridge our gaps rather than, rather than almost going out of our way to, to, to cause, uh, cause anguish. Um, uh, I wish, I, I do wish that we were, we were behaving I guess with with more decorum and with more honour on the world mm-hmm. stage. 
We're going to take a short break now from a podcast with Rebecca to listen to a trailer for the Politics of Sound podcast August episode with Tom Mayhew. We'll be back very shortly. Do you want to see your politicians from a different angle? It's time for the Politics of Sound podcast. I believe that people's record collections can reveal a lot about them, and so every month I invite politicians and political figures to reveal their three all-time favourite albums, and in exchange, I want to know all about them and their lives, what they think, and why they think it. Joining me in the record shop this month is the star of Radio 4's Tom Mayhew is Benefit Scum. That's Tom Mayhew. So why not join me, Ian Carnegie, my guests and the house band on the Politics of Sound podcast, out now on Global Player or wherever you get your podcasts. Do you think then, you mentioned your background in in technology there, do you think then that that's something that uh, the Liberal Democrats should place more emphasis on in terms of promoting uh, new technology and encouraging the development of the tech industry in the UK? I mean, obviously, I think that would be great. Mm. Um, I think um, I think certainly embracing um, technology as a way of encouraging voter engagement is something that, that actually no party has really pursued properly as yet. Um, the way to really engage with young voters, for example, um, seems to be, uh, you know, there's a, there's a really obvious correlation between, um, between tech and, and young people, um, and we're not making the most of that, for sure. Um, also, uh, you know, I, I, I believe in the ideal of democracy, for sure, and um, for democracy to be at its best, that means that the more people that can take part, the better. We should be looking for ways to engage with more people, not less, to make it possible mm. for more people to, to, to vote, to, to be enfranchised, not for less. Mm. And for me, I see technology as a way of enablement. Um, it's, it's a, you know, it's not the holy grail, but it's a path to achieve, um, to, to provide a tool to allow people access where previously they don't necessarily have access. So, for example, if we enabled um, online voting, hmm. now, of course, there are questions about security, but these are not insurmountable questions, not, not by any stretch of the imagination. Hmm. If we enabled uh, online voting, then, then think about the access that that would, that would make possible for members of our community who are housebound. Hmm. Mm, absolutely. Um, you know, I, I just I just see that 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 we are we are missing the opportunity to involve more people actively in our democracy by not embracing the possibilities that technology offers. Mm. How do you think um, uh, technology then could work perhaps in regards to a voter ID? Because as you mentioned there, obviously something that if you were to introduce online voting would be to ensure that, um, that there wasn't any tampering uh, in, in, in elections or in the way that people voted. Do you think that that's something that um, potentially could be made as an argument for or against uh, the government's plans regarding uh, voter ID? What, what are your thoughts on that? I'm, I have to say I'm, I'm highly suspicious about the government's um, plans for, for introducing voter ID. In mm. fact, um, we, uh, 
the, the Liberal Democrat group um, had a, a motion about it at the last uh, Gloucestershire County Council uh, meeting um, because, because of our concern. Uh, in fact, um, it seems to me that it is um, a backdoor approach to, uh, to disenfranchising members of our community. Um, there are plenty of uh, plenty of reports, plenty of research, plenty of statistics to support uh, the fact that it tends to be members of our community who live in more vulnerable circumstances, who have more challenges, um, who do not fit the white middle class uh, fully employed mm. demographic, uh, who may have more difficulty accessing appropriate ID that would allow them to vote in the all new regime that is being outlined by the Tory proposals. And we know also that is, it is those self-same, uh, perhaps more vulnerable or uh, more challenged or less white middle class fully employed members of the community who are less likely to vote Tory. Mm. Um, uh, and I just see that as a way of the Conservatives trying to shore up their vote and ensure that there are less votes for other parties, which I don't believe is um, is the way that the country should be going. Mm. Do you think, because there have been suggestions that um, the voter ID legislation is in part inspired by um, voter ID registration that's been seen in America and in, in Republican states where Republicans have been trying to uh, introduce much uh, harsher uh, voter ID systems. Do you think then that um, this is a, another example of the, of the so-called um, culture war of an attempt to create an issue where perhaps uh, there wasn't an issue in, in, in order to stoke divisions between um, different groups by particular political parties, in, in, in this case, perhaps the Conservatives in the US, perhaps the uh, Republicans? I, I, I do think that a lot of, a lot of the, <clears throat> a lot of the, excuse me, a lot of the issues, so-called issues, that the Conservatives seem to be coming out with currently um, uh, are almost straight out of the, you know, the, the, the Trump plague book, if you like. Um, that they are doing exactly that. They are they are trying to um, play culture wars and and stoke outrage about about things that that you, you know people aren't actually outraged by it or that aren't actually you know aren't actually issues i mean you know if you look at the statistics voter fraud is in infinitesimal statistics you, mm. you know, 0.0000001% or something like that according mm. to the electoral commission um, of of uh, of identified voter fraud in the last a statistically significant issue Yet you listen to to conservative ministers, and apparently it's you, you know everybody everybody in the neighbour is 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 down the street and trying to nick your vote. Um, it's it's a way of it's a way of distraction. I think it's um, it's sort of uh, I, can't, I can't remember who who it was. It, the, the phrase opium for the masses. Um, uh, you know that might have been might have been Lenin possibly uh, <laughs> wouldn't be a very conservative uh, conservative quote to use but, but um, 
you know the, the concept of 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 distraction you know you use this bright shiny thing to distract people from what's really going on what's really going on is is our nhs is is horrifically underfunded and and on its knees you know this latest latest suggestion that um oh gosh you know nhs staff well they're going to have a three percent pay rise but it's got to be from current budgets current budgets don't actually already current carry uh cover um the, the the requirements that they already have mm. it's fully well known that if the pay rise has to come from the current budgets that means further slashing of services it's it's an insidious way of running the nhs down but if people are being distracted by some other terrible issue that's going on that's not really an issue then they won't notice what's going on in this corner it's it's like a magician's sleight of hand mm. Absolutely. Um, one of the uh, key issues that has been um, talked about a great deal uh, recently featured in the Cheshire and Amersham by-election is featured across the country in, in, in local elections and um, elections in recent years has, of course, been housing. What do you see as the um, uh, Liberal Democrats' main focus in terms of um, housing? I think the important thing... Um... I mean, honestly, I'm not entirely sure what the national position is. I know that um, I know that our position locally and and across the Cotswolds is um, what we need is more affordable housing. Mm-hmm. What we need is more socially rented housing. Um, what we need is housing that is accessible. Um, for young people, for families, um, at a at a price and uh, at a uh, a way of accessibility um, for somebody's life stage that is currently in very short supply. Mm-hmm. So at the moment, um, in Sirencester, for example, we've we've got a real we've got a real problem with with young people staying in the town. Now, I mean, maybe one reason is that we don't have a massive amount of nightlife, um, although that's less of an issue during during pandemic times, perhaps. Mm-hmm. But um, but another issue is that rental properties are really expensive. So for for a young person, uh, either single or or in a couple, getting getting their first flat, it's really hard work. You know, getting getting the deposit together to to put down to rent somewhere, and then finding you know, finding the money to, to, to pay every month. Sorry. Sorry. Um, finding the money to, to pay every month. Um, you, you know, perhaps when they're on, you know, their, their first job after college or after university, you know, that's, that's really demanding. We don't have a, a, a suitable range of property available to allow your average young person to, to leave school or leave college and be able to move out and get their own place. Mm. Similarly, it's really hard for families to move from their, you know, their starter property to um, to a slightly bigger place. You know, when they've kind of got one child and they, you know, maybe they're expecting another one, or you, you know, they need a little bit more space um, because property prices are, are absolutely crazy. And and you know, I I fully understand that housing is a is a market and for some people 
um, having a proper property portfolio is their career. Um, however, houses shouldn't ever just be seen as as an investment mm. um, or as an industry. Um, they are, you know, part of the lifeblood of our communities. Mm. And I think it's imperative for us as local councils and as councillors to facilitate um, the, you know, the lifeblood of our communities. And that means having somewhere for our residents to live. Mm -hmm. um, so that means mixed, you know, mixed opportunity housing, rental and purchase at different price points that are, you know, suitable for different stages in, 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 the, in the life cycle of, of, of life. Mm. Absolutely. Um, we're coming towards uh, the end of the podcast, Rebecca. It's been great to have you on. And I have one uh, final uh, question. And now we've touched upon the pandemic uh, a little bit and things seem to be uh, somewhat uh, getting better with the um, rollout of the vaccination and, and uh, falling uh, COVID cases at the moment. However, of course, things aren't uh, fully back to normal. And when things are fully back to normal, which will hopefully uh, be soon. What one thing that you haven't been able to do are you most looking forward to being able to do again? Crumbs. Um, <laughs> do you know, I, I think, I think, well, actually, I've been, I've been really fortunate during the course of this, uh, of this whole strange period, because, um, you know, I'm not, I'm not used to living a very glamorous lifestyle, actually. You know, I don't I don't travel extensively. Um, you know, I don't eat out all the time. So, um, you know, my my lifestyle per se wasn't wasn't hideously impacted, you know, from the from the start of first lockdown. You know, I I I have my children um, and we hang out together a lot anyway. So we've carried on doing that. We've done a lot more sort of walking and things like that, which has been great. Um, so, so, and, and we haven't, you know, most importantly, we, we haven't, we haven't lost anybody really close to us. So we've been incredibly blessed. Um, I guess I guess the thing that, that we're all we're all looking forward to most is is being able to see people that we care about. Um, you know, it's been very hard to see family members. We've only seen um, the the kids' grandparents uh, sort of uh, once in the last year, um, and uh, you, you know, that's that's you know that's tough. Um, and you, you know, being able to just kind of go off and, and go somewhere different um, has been has obviously been a, been a challenge. So mm -hmm. I think just having the freedom to be able to to plan to go and do something will be nice. Mm -hmm. um, but um, yeah, we're not going to be flying off to the other side of the world because we we weren't doing that anyway. <laughs> well, hopefully um, you will be able to um, visit people and to, to be able to uh, to plan things. Uh, uh, better in, in, in the near future, um, Rebecca. Um, if people want to find out um, more about you and your work as a counsellor, um, where should they go to work to find out more about you? Um, well, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Rebecca Halifax or my counsellor page is on Facebook, Councillor Rebecca Halifax. Um, so I'm, I'm relatively easy to find. 
Um, and uh, the, the councillor page on Facebook is where I tend to post what I'm, uh, what I'm up to. Um, and my Twitter feed is a mixture of politics and current affairs and, and talking about books and sort of ranting about life in general. Fantastic. Thank you once again for coming on the podcast. You're very welcome. Thank you for listening to this episode of the podcast. If you've enjoyed it, you can subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, Podbeam and Amazon Music. You can also follow us on Twitter, at Debated Podcast, like us on Facebook, Debated Podcast, and if you'd like to get in touch with us, whether about appearing on an episode of the podcast or commenting on an episode that you've listened to, you can do so at thedebatedpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. I hope you listen to the next one.